The Antler Archives, brought to you by Cliff Creek Coffee, built for the trail. White Rock Performance Gear, built tough, priced right, ready when you are. What's going on, everybody? It's Dylan here. We're uh, going to do this week a little bit different our, with our schedules here between uh, Craig and myself. We just can't get time this week to record a podcast together. So we are going to do two separate parts to this episode. I'm going to do my part here. Just driving to work, so I'll record this while I'm driving. Sorry if uh, sorry if you hear the road noises and in the vehicle. I apologize for that. Just stick with us, and hopefully it's not too too bad. And then Craig is going to record his part of the podcast on his way to work, or when he has a little bit of free time here. So. This is going to be a little bit different, but it can be pretty interesting as well. It's just pretty much going to be, we're going to talk about a memorable hunting story. So my hunting story is going back to elk hunting in 2018. And it's an interesting one. Started off. I had a spot in mind that I was wanting to go for quite a few years. I just didn't really have anybody to go in there with me. It's a very rugged area, and it's tough. It's very tough, and you have to be pretty committed to wanting to go in there. So, I met a guy from work. His name's Shay. We got uh, talking about elk hunting, and we decided, why not check out this area? So we went in there in, I believe it would have been late spring, early summer, and we found our way in there, and it was breathtaking. It was absolutely beautiful once we got down in there. Super steep, but we kept telling each other that if there's going to be a spot where we're going to get an elk, that spot's going to be it. So we stuck with it and we thought, you know what, let's give it a shot. Let's let's train all year and uh, we'll give it a shot. We'll try and get in there. So opening day of archery season here in Alberta comes August 25th and we hunted our normal areas together just to start, and we're kind of waiting for a good time to go in there. So, for the first, oh, I want to say month of hunting, so from August 25th to September 25th, we just did our regular elk hunting up where Shay lives, and... We had some really close encounters. We had some good chances, but uh, none of us were able to release an arrow. And then our er, rifle season, sorry, came, and we were both at work for that week. And then we decided, you know what? Let's go into this new area where we found. So 
we packed up and we went in there and I believe it was on August first August sorry September 27th I believe was the date and I remember unloading the quad and it was a cool morning it wasn't to where it was snowing or anything but I believe it was right around the zero degree mark clear skies absolute perfect morning for elk hunting so we get going in there we get up to the top of the hills right before you drop into the valley and temptations get to us we have to let a beaver go we gotta know if there's elk talking in this valley so i let a bugle go and right away like as soon as i finished my bugle there's another one and we couldn't believe it there's a bull that answered us right down where we expected him to be and he sounded like a big old growly bull so we get down there we get playing our wind right and our thermals right we're working our way down and this bull is just screaming his head off and we get down into position right where we want it to be it's thick spruce and we thought this is perfect because he's gonna have to come within 50 yards of us and we are rifle hunting but we wanted that up close and personal opportunity so we get calling him in he's working his way and working his way in and this is going on oh this is about an hour into our hunt now and out of nowhere we feel the wind on the back of our necks and the bull goes quiet and our hearts just sank we thought no we didn't just blow our one opportunity in here like it's such a small valley that if you blow an elk out of there, you might as well kiss that day goodbye because the elk are going to be gone. They're going to be out of that valley and you're probably not going to see them anymore. So we kind of work our way up. We work our way up to where the middle ridge was. And you can kind of see down into the trees on the opposite side. We're on a big open slope. And it's lunchtime now. So we just sat there and had lunch. Did, some, did a few bugles. And we more or less just hung out. And just kind of took it all in. Like it was, we we're still in awe on how beautiful that area was. So we get going in there again. And we kind of dropped down a little bit, but we were not overly wanting to go too, too far because we knew we were new to the area. We've only been in there once and we didn't overly want to be coming out of there in the dark, but we were also prepared for it if we needed to. So... We kind of go down a little bit, but we got down in there a bit, and we thought, you know what, let's let's head out of here for the day. It's around, oh, I want to say 2 o'clock, 1.30, 2 o'clock. We thought, let's head out of here for the day, 
and then we'll come right back in here first thing in the morning again. So we get hiking way up this huge hill. It's, uh, to put into perspective, the hill is about, a, from the bottom of the hill to the top, you're about a kilometer. Well, in that kilometer, it's an 1,100-foot vertical gain. It's absolutely crazy. There's cliffs at the top. It's That's why we didn't want to be in there in the dark, coming out of there in the dark. So we get walking out of this hill. We get about halfway up, and we're joking to each other. Wouldn't it be funny to see a bull on the hill that we just had lunch on after we were calling? And we're kind of joking around about it. We get about three quarters of the way out, turn around, sure thing, there's a bull standing on the hill right where we were having lunch. So we put up the binos. We're kind of like, whoa, what, where did that guy come from? Put up the binos, and he's a 5x5. Five five. Well, we're in the six-point zone. So we just kind of sat there, and we're like, well, you know what? That's pretty cool. We'll just sit here and watch him, see what he does. So we sat there for, well, I want to say about a good half an hour, just watching the bull, getting some pictures, getting some video footage of him. And then we thought, you know what, let's try calling, see what happens. So I let out a bugle, and a bull answers right down to our right. So we're like, oh, okay, sweet. Well, you remember, we're in the middle of this hill. And in the middle of this hill, where we were, it's right below where the cliffs start. And there's a there's two big spruce trees. So we just kind of nestled in by those spruce trees so that they couldn't pinpoint us right on the hill. And we started calling, just kind of taking it easy. And then we hear this big old growly bull start bugling again. And... By that time, we already nicknamed that bull the Growler just from that morning. So we're like, huh, okay, is he going to come up too? Like, what do, you, what do we do? Do we wait for that big bull to come up? Do we, if the first bull comes up and he's a six point, do we shoot him? What do we do? So Shay already told me that I was first up to shoot. So I was, had all these scenarios running through my mind. I honestly didn't know what I was going to do. So I just kind of kept playing it as I normally would, just slow playing the bull. And we hear that bull go down, and the, that bull and the growler met up, and we could actually hear them fighting, which we thought was pretty cool. Never heard that before, but that was kind of awesome. So then as soon as they were done fighting, I gave a calf call. And then another advertising bugle. Well, that bull went absolutely ballistic and came running up the hill. So I got in the, in the position, and at this point, we still can't see the bull. We can just hear him. So I got into position, and I got ready for a shot. Because I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know if he was a big, bigger bull than the growler or smaller. 
but we didn't know they just fought and then he comes charging up the hill so in my mind that's kind of a bigger bull and he steps out and he's broken off above his third it's a six point on the one side and four on the other and it crossed my mind do you want to shoot a broken bull down in this valley and I looked at the bull again and the the side that was a full six was a big six like he was a nice bull and I thought you know what I've been working my butt off for eight years now I'm not gonna pass up a legal bull so I shot the bull first shot I didn't compensate for shooting downhill at about 200 yards and I shot over him so then the second shot I aimed right on his lower chest because he was kind of quartering to me like a hard quarter two and I squeezed off the trigger and he dropped instantly and rolled all the way down this hill and you could see the trees at the bottom of the hill just shaking where he hung up and Shay and I turned to each other and we're so excited that we finally got a bull but at the same time we were like crap (laughs) now we gotta pack this bull all the way out of here and it was a big bodied bull. So right about, I'd say about 100 yards above where we were, we got cell service, just a little bit. So I, we ran up quickly. I called my wife and Shay called his wife and said, we got an out down, we're gonna be late. So that's as, as it went, that's all they knew. We had an elk and we were going to be late. And then we walked down to the elk and I just kind of took it all in. Like, I worked eight years to get to this point. Had my first bull elk. And it was just a surreal feeling. I, like, I couldn't believe that I finally had my first bull elk. So I just kind of sat there taking it all in, just kind of quiet. And then we started kind of high-fiving and celebrating a bit. But the whole time we were, we were looking at this bull, doing pictures and everything, I couldn't help but think how big this body on this bull was. I've been a part of a lot of elk hunts. Shay has been a part of a lot of elk hunts and we both say still to this day that bull had the biggest body of any elk we have ever seen so we start breaking this bull up at this point now and it starts to rain so like okay well not the greatest but what do you do we're kind of stuck with it just deal with it so we finally broke the bull down and at this point 
think, I want to say it was 8 o'clock, 7.30, 8 o'clock. It were about an hour, hour and a half till dark. We got the pole broken down. We pull the good meat away and stash it under a small spruce tree to where we're hoping the bears, if anything comes to it, because we're not going to get this whole bull out that night. So we're hoping the bears leave it alone. And we kind of pushed the carcass down a bit from where we were. And I loaded up a front quarter, I believe, in my pack. And Shay loaded up a front or a rear quarter in his pack. And we started making our way out. And our goal was to get to the top of the hill above, on the top of the cliffs, by dark. If we could do that, then we figured we were doing pretty good. So, we get going up, and we're pushing ourselves pretty hard to get up here. Our packs are heavy. The hill is steep. It's slippery because of the rain all afternoon. I shot this elk right around, I want to say, 2.33 o'clock. My times might be off a little bit, but roughly, from what I can remember, that's when I shot him. And uh, we get working our way up, pushing ourselves pretty hard to get above the cliffs in daylight. Because that was our biggest thought, is we don't want to be in those cliffs in these slippery situations in the dark. And then it starts to snow. And it starts snowing pretty heavy. Well, we're at the top half of the cliffs now. And it's just getting dark. We're just putting our headlamps on now. And we still had, I want to say, two to three kilometers from where we were to where the quad was. So we get working our way up, and we get above the cliffs, and now it's a treat section. And remember, we've only been in there once before this. We have our maps on our phones, and we've used them lots. We feel 100% confident in them. There should not be any issue, except for it's a whiteout now. We can't see 10 feet in front of us. We're literally just slowly picking our way through, watching our map. So we get up. And our map starts acting out. It's pretty much, long story short, sending us in circles. We could not figure out what was going on with why the map was just sending us in circles. We'd mark a waypoint and we'd walk towards where we needed to go. And we'd only walk about 100 or so yards and we'd mark another waypoint. And then we'd kind of aim the map to where we thought we needed to go. And walk when 
100 yards mark another waypoint and now we have three corners we're like what's going on here why do why do we have three corners we should be going in a straight line if we if we are going to where our map is telling us to go to get to the top of the big cliffs to get out so i'm like you know what let Let's just go one more, go 100 yards more, and we'll see what's going on. Well, within those 100 yards, we found our foot tracks again from where we first started. We're kind of confused at that point. We're getting hungry, thirsty. We're kind of getting a little upset just from fatigue more or less and we're soaking wet while well, our, our gear is soaking wet and it's starting to get cold pitch black so I remember Shay we wandered around a little bit more trying to figure it out and we just we more or less started kept coming to the same spot every time our map just kept sending us in a circle and still, we don't know why it did that. It might be something in the cliffs that was throwing our maps off. I don't know. Maybe if somebody listening has an idea. We were close to some big cliffs. We were using maps on our phone. Maybe there was a rock in the cliffs that was throwing the compass off. We were unsure. It happened to us again, but we were luckily in there in daylight when it happened, so we, we knew where we were going. But anyways, back to the story. So that, that point there, it's about, I want to say 10 o'clock, if I remember correctly. And Shay looked at me and he said, do you just want to start a fire and warm up? Maybe dry off a little bit, we'll get our heads back into it, cook up some elk meat and have something to eat. And then we'll try it again. Just maybe get our heads on straight and try and figure this out. And I remember saying, man, I do not care what we do. I just want to get out of here. Like, I am tired. I'm tired of beating around this bush with snow falling on our heads every two minutes from all the trees. And at that point, he turned around and looked at me. And his eyes looked like he's seen a ghost. And he said, no, we're stopping right now. We're building a fire and you need to get warm up. You look like you're about to pass out. And I felt fine, but Shay said my whole face looked blue. And I just looked like there's no life in me, to put it bluntly. So we uh, found a spot under a big tree and cleared out some of the boughs on the lower side, collected a bunch of wood, got a fire going, and it was not an easy task getting this fire going because everything was wet. Shay ended up using two of his game bags to get the fire going and uh, finally got it going. Started cooking some elk meat and I had one bite of elk meat, and I instantly started puking everywhere. And I could not stop puking. 
and we started melting snow because we were darn near out of water. Started melting snow to get more water. Every time I take a sip of water, I puke it right back up. Finally, Shay's like, well, I got one last thing you can try. He had some Baybell cheese in his backpack. And he gave me one of those, and I didn't puke it up. So I ate Baybell cheese to get something in me and start eat and start eating and trying to drink what I can. And in this period of time, Shay was in contact with my brother, and he was... He thought, no, I'm heading out there. I'm going to go try and find these guys and see what I can do. And uh, she had an emergency blanket. So I crawled inside the emergency blanket. And I just passed out. That was it. I don't remember passing out. I... Last I remember, I'm sitting by the fire trying to warm up, trying to dry off. I took my jacket I had off and put another jacket on. Shay had a Under Armour puffy jacket. I put that on to try and warm up, to try and dry off my jacket. And I'm so thankful that he had all this because... We had lots of gear with us to spend the night that we thought, but with the rain, lots of our gear got wet from having our bags open when we were cleaning this bowl. So I passed out. Shay's getting kind of worried at this point, and... He let me sleep, but he kept checking on me all the time, making sure, like, my vitals were good and everything. He'd wake me up every so often, make me drink water, and he pretty much took pretty darn good care of me that night. And I remember waking up, and my brother called Shay and said, we're right here where are you guys? And we're like, well, we're, we're up over here. He's like, okay. Um, I told him, I said, this is where my quads parked. Well, it was snowing so hard. They couldn't find my quad. And my brother knew the area, but he didn't know it very good. So we, uh, we're trying to talk him through it and he thought you know what i i need some help out here so he we have some good friends on the search and rescue team and he thought you know what why not just call search and rescue if it's as bad as they say it is we need to get him out of here so they call search and rescue and then there's another family friend that is in town on a moose hunt that has been down in that area before and my brother seen him earlier that day so he called him and said Dylan's in here and pretty much told him the situation what was going on so he's like hey yeah I'll come out and help well everybody gets out there 
they know where the trail is to get in there, but because it's snowing so bad, they can't find it. They're telling me where they are, and I'm like, you guys are literally standing right beside my quad, and they could not find it. So it got to the point where I was feeling a lot better. I could drink water. I could eat elk meat. I was feeling a hundred times better than what I was. Shay said I was looking a lot better than what I was. So we decided, you know what? We feel good now. We'll just spend the night. We'll wait till daylight. We'll spend the night under this tree. And it is what it is. So everybody, for, and that was a safety measure call for the search and rescue guys, my brother. And so they backed out and my brother said, I'm going to be back here at 5.30 in the morning when it gets daylight. So, okay, that's when we're going to be up too because while the sun's going to be coming up, we're going to be up anyways. We're probably not going to get much sleep tonight. So we get, get going and uh, it did not let up much at all that whole night. And Shay and I would take turns getting firewood and manning the fire for an hour and the other person sleep while we're manning the fire. We're kind of cutting up some elk meat and cooking it so that we can keep food in ourselves and energy. And I remember sitting there and I just thought to myself, what could I have done that would have made this situation better? And I kind of thought through everything. You go out in the bush, you think you have everything to spend a night, and you might, but you never know what you actually need until you're in that situation. I always thought, I always packed enough, snacks, first aid kit, extra layers, stuff to start a fire, everything you would think you would need just to make it through a night. And it was enough. Obviously, we made it through the night. Shay had enough. Thankfully, he had the puffy jacket that I didn't have. And because I, I think if he didn't have that puffy jacket and that emergency blanket, I think the outcome might have been a lot different. But I remember sitting there, and the biggest thing that popped into my, into my mind was gear. Shay had his Kuyu gear. And mind you, it can be Kuyu, Sitka, Scree, Numa, all the top high-quality brands that are made for the backcountry hunting. So Shay had all his Kuyu and then that Under Armour puffy jacket. Well, I had your basic Walmart Canadian Tire kind of gear. And the difference between our gear was I was soaked all the way through. Shay's was wet on the outside, but dry on the inside where it counts. 
His gear was doing his doing its job. Mine wasn't. So that's kind of the only thing I could think of that we could have done better to change the situation. Or you just don't shoot the elk. But when you have a big bull elk sitting in front of you that's legal, the last thing that you think of, and correct me if I'm wrong, I think of it now, timeline, but the last thing I was thinking of is I'm going to be spending the night in the bush in a blizzard feeling super sick from dehydration and darn near hypothermia. So those that's kind of the only thing I came down to what I could have changed was my gear. But I just kind of sat back and said a thank you for helping me get through all this. I felt absolutely horrible because where we were, we barely had any service. My phone actually didn't have service and Shay's did. We were with two different providers. So I felt bad because my wife was sitting at home wondering what what was going on. And Shay's wife was sitting at home kind of like same thing wondering what's going on. They kind of, they knew we were spending the night, but they didn't know how bad the situation was. And we just, we felt bad for that. And I remember sitting there eating some elk meat and just, like I said, saying a thank you that we're making it through it. And then I remember looking at my phone and it's five o'clock in the morning. The sun's starting to come up. And we thought, you know what? We're both awake at that time. We're melting more snow and cooking the last, cooking some more elk meat, our last bit that we were going to cook before we got making our way out. Making sure everything's dry because we knew as soon as we got 20 yards away from camp, we're not going to be dry anymore. And we just thought, you know what? Let's look out in this opening because last night it was black as if you're looking straight off a mountain into the cliff like off cliffs but when you put your light on it or when you would take your light off sorry it'd be kind of gray so we're kind of like we're like oh, we don't want to go over there because we think it's cliffs well now it's daylight and we can see we were right where we needed to be the whole time we were right where we entered the trees just because of the snow not being able to see, we couldn't tell that we were we were right there. So we kind of chuckled about that and thought, you know what, if we would have just trusted our gut and went this way, we would have been fine. But the smart thing to do in that situation is do what we did, build a fire, warm up, hopefully if it ever happens again, the situation isn't as bad as it was because it was horrible. I remember sitting there one at one point in the night thinking, is this it? <laughs> and I thought, no, this isn't it. I am not letting a freaking snowstorm 
kicked my butt like that. So we pack all our gear up and we start heading back out and it's everything's so full of snow. We're pushing our way through thick trees. We're just getting covered in snow. And we finally get into this old grown-in quad trail. And we're walking. We have some choice words for all the thick bush and all the snow. Next thing you know, I can hear my brother's quad coming. And it's getting louder and louder and louder. And all I see is this big clump of willows get bowled over and this big yellow quad come flying over top of these willows and there's my there's my brother and his friend Cole coming to help us and I have never been so happy to see somebody before than that moment right there it's like all the weight was lifted off we got to put our packs on his quad and we were close to my quad so Shane and I were kind of like no we're gonna just we'll walk out to the quad and we'll get out of here so we were soaked at that point again and my grandpa and our friend Kobus were coming up to they they were sitting at our quad because they were in a side-by-side it's a little tighter to get in there on a side-by-side than quad and we got out got to the quad my grandpa and Kobus had dry gear for us so we put it on Hopped on the quad, drove out. I stashed my quad there for the day, for the day, because we thought, no, we're we're not getting in there today. We're not going back in there today. It's cold enough. The meat's gonna be perfectly fine. We don't have to worry about that at all. But more or less, we needed to get home to recover. Like our bodies, pretty much, pardon my language, but took a shit kicking. Like, we were running on empty. I remember going back to my grandparents' house and just eating everything I could, drinking a bunch of fluids. I had a nap. And it was just, it felt awesome. So then the next day, we regathered, went down in there. There was Shay, my brother, his friend Cole, and myself. We went back down in there to get the rest of the the rest of the elk, and our goal was we're coming out with the rest of the elk. We are not making a third trip. So we went down there, and luck, luckily there was no bears on the on the elk carcass or on our good meat. We deboned all the meat, loaded all our packs, and started to climb back out. And the whole time you going in there you're just kind of remembering everything that happened and this time we took flagging tape and we flagged our way in through the spot that we needed to and we got the whole time we're in there we're like this is stupid no we're not doing this again why would we do this again and we finally got all the meat out to the trucks, got the quads loaded, and we're just kind of standing there. And we're just kind of talking about everything. And Shane and I kind of looked at each other and we're like, 
well, that wasn't that bad. Why don't we do it again next year? And everybody kind of looked at us and thought, you guys are crazy. So I'll make a long story short, we went back in there again next year. Shea shot a giant 6x6, and we did it all again. But this time, we were a little bit more prepared. So there's my story on my most memorable elk hunt. I will never forget that one. And I don't know what Craig's got coming for you guys, but I'm sure it's going to be a good one. So I hope you enjoy. And from myself, we will see you guys on the next episode. This is one of those conversations that Dylan and I were talking about hoping to have the other day, but it has turned out to uh, him recording his own episode, so to speak, and me recording my own. And I'm driving um, in Edmonton City and Highway Limits here, so hopefully the audio doesn't sound completely terrible, but I just want to take a couple minutes here and talk about one of my most memorable hunts and as far as I can think back and it's been a couple days of me racking my head but I almost need to go back to the white-tailed deer I shot in 2020 and the way it kind of played out is one of those I don't want to say you see it on TV but you kind of have it in your head that that's what you want and I don't know it played out perfectly so I'll take you back to sometime in September as has been discussed before if I think um, there was a lot of time spending chasing ghosts the deer I shot in 2021 and that never came to fruition so I was in the middle of moving some cameras around early early mid-September and nothing was really happening. Ghost had become simply that, a ghost. And I had set two new spy points out on a piece of property that I had just gained permission on and I was really unsure of what was in there that year i knew what was in there the year before and that deer had actually been shot uh that year in in 2019 so i was kind of skeptical coming into that piece of property because i didn't really know what to expect so i found a few deer that were decent and i was planning on going after ghost and originally if I didn't see anything to his standards, because once I saw him, he was locked in, that I was just gonna spend the majority of my season photographing and filming what I could in that piece of property. And I sat in a tree stand two mornings and nothing really happened. There was a couple does, a couple small bucks walked by Uh, Nothing I was really enthused about and nothing I really, nothing that got my heart going. So the second day, the Sunday morning, I got down out of my stand and I was walking, walking through an alfalfa meadow along the edge of it. And I was looking down at my phone 
like a complete idiot looking at eye hunter and i saw a branch move but that branch actually turned out to be the left beam of the buck i ended up shooting the following weekend as he jolted from his bedding area maybe 15 yards away from me and proceeded to go 900 miles an hour completely north that led to a dead end that day but after kind of surveying where he was when i saw him i made the change to move my stand and move a couple cameras around again into into the area he was and i kind of played my cards i let it sit for uh, i think seven days i went back in five days five days i went back in friday evening to go pull the card and i was blown away by the deer that was in front of the camera and he was all over the three cameras i had just put in there almost right underneath my stand so it was kind of one of those i'm gonna do it and i'm gonna do it now scenario so i sat the following morning for about an hour and a half only into into morning light and I had to go, I had other commitments, taking my kid out to horse riding lessons and stuff. So I kind of pulled the pin early, which didn't play <laughs> out to be good because he crossed one of my crossing cameras about 45 minutes after I left, which was about 25 yards from my stand. So I kind of smacked myself there. And I was leaving to go out of town to work about three for three weeks the following Sunday night so I was kind of out of time so I made the decision to hop in for an evening sit that night same same Saturday much to my wife's <laughs> disapproval I went out anyway and I was starting to think that nothing was gonna happen and a, a small two-point buck walked out sat down on the edge of the field 57 yards from me and proceeded to sit there and fall asleep in the in the fading light and then a, a doe and a fawn came out not too long after and then the crunch 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 of heavier footsteps kind of woke me out of my freeze pattern because it was almost as if I had six eyes on me for over an hour and I just saw the right beam of the deer I called Snoop and I can post pictures of him later as to why I called him Snoop but um, he came out and he stood right in the field edge and all you could see was half of his face and his right side and I said yeah that's that's definitely the deer from the night before when I pulled the camera and he was all over those cameras all week long chasing does already and he was I shot him on October 3rd so he finally came out and Dylan wanted to talk about our most memorable hunt and the reason this one's on my most memorable hunt list is because I watched him from 57 yards feed towards me for 45 minutes until he was 29 yards broadside and the amount of times that I think we made eye contact 
and watching his body position and his demeanor around the two-point buck that finally got off his ass once he came out of the bush um, watching him chase the does around and he kind of walked around like he was the king of the forest little did I know there were three bigger bucks in there whether they were in there at that point in time I don't know um, but the thing I like about whitetail hunting is the close proximity and getting to know the animal and my kids always ask me what my favorite animal and why and lots of people ask me my favorite animal to hunt and it's always going to be whitetail because they're very unique um, it's kind of like I don't know they're very unique and it's very interesting to watch their behaviors and the way they uh, they hold a hierarchy almost so it was very cool and uh, yeah he turned 29 broadside and I let an arrow fly and I I thought I was gonna let that bow go early because I was shaking so bad um, and it was perfect shot he ran 19 yards and flopped over and <laughs> to say I was ecstatic and elated is probably not even close to how I was actually feeling at that point in time but um, I don't think it could have gone any better it wasn't one of those rushed tree stand shots where you see the buck and you have 2.7 seconds to draw find a find a hole and shoot through it this was wide open 45 minutes waiting for the absolute proper time perfect shot placement lots of people argue oh well you should have shot him earlier you could have shot him earlier it's still early season um, deer is still pretty skittish from the summer I believe he knew I was there I'm pretty sure all of them knew I was there at a few points in time but I don't know it is what it is um, but just to be able to have that time with the animal made it that much more special when I actually came down out of the tree I almost fell out of the tree trying to get down um, not gonna lie but uh, it ended up after looking at him I had seen him the year before he was he's always been a very tight basket on his tips but he grew a lot of time length over the year uh, and looking back in some cards and some cameras and and photo files he's been around for a while I think he was around five and a half um, but again everybody always Everybody's always saying, oh, the Edmonton Bow Zone is the hardest place in the world to hunt. Whitetail specifically. Um, don't waste your time on early season whitetail. It's a waste of time. I fully, wholeheartedly disagree with every one of those statements. Um, the, the zone I hunt in is what you make of it. Yeah, it can be difficult if you're waiting for that big mature buck. Uh, or a very specific deer I think it's challenging it's it's a very challenging place to hunt um, there's so many 
possibilities of things that can go wrong, things that do go wrong in that area. There's tons of controversy, like like we talked about a couple weeks ago, with um, other hunters in the area. They lock up permission almost like it's the mafia. So trying to find new spots is difficult. I think getting the land permission and finding the big deer are, is the hardest challenge. But I've killed two very respectable deer in the Edmonton bow zone. One I had a lifetime to shoot at. I decided to take my time and it made that hunt that much better. And last year's buck ghost was shot on September 11th. The year before that was October 3rd. And I still consider both of those dates as very early season deer. They're nowhere near the full rut swing. And I'm sure we'll get into talking about the three stages of the rut at a later date. But at the end of the day, I gotta say that's my most memorable hunt. There's been lots of special hunts like my hunt for ghost and, and the finalization of ghost. That is special. Um, that was a mind-blowing scenario. And I don't remember if we've gone re- into much detail about that one. But I'm sure we will at some point. Um, but yeah. At the end of the day, that's my favorite hunt. Thanks again for listening to the Antler Archives, brought to you by Cliff Creek Coffee, White Rock Performance Gear, Wapiti River Outdoors, and Monster Attraction Minerals.